What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the First Timers Podcast Show, where we offer insight, tips, and advice for first-time or long-time home buyers, sellers, and investors. I'm your host, Mikey T, personal home consultant, real estate agent, homeowner, and investor. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at First Timers Podcast Show. So today, I have... Uh, an attorney here that is super experienced and came highly recommended by another podca- podcast uh, attendee, uh, Miranda Verderam. Her name is uh, sometimes hard to say, but I have Peter Lofredo here, and he is going to talk about um, landlord-tenant law. And for anybody that's looking to become a landlord and, and first-time investor, uh, I know a lot of people that, that are looking to get into investments. The first thing they say is they want to get a multi-unit property. They want to become a landlord. And I think a lot of people don't understand exactly what, um, you know, law-wise, legally, uh, some of the things that can affect them. All they see, first of all, is is the money, like, uh, you know, 10 units and I can whatever, even three units and I can make X amount of dollars. But so we have Peter Lafredo here. He's from the law offices of Peter A. Lafredo Esquire. They're out of Toms River, New Jersey. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you being here. Well, thank you. I really do appreciate being here as well. And uh, this is going to be a fun time, I think. And uh, we'll see what we can uh, answer the <laughs> questions that uh, anybody has or, or maybe give some insight for people out there. Oh, I think you can. I mean, uh, so you and I met, I think, through Miranda. But the funny story is that uh, your attorney in the office or paralegal, uh, Brandy. Brandy. I, I represented her in a rental uh, situation, in a rental agreement. And then I found out, you know, it's like, it's like you're separated very, very little in this industry. Yeah. And then it comes to find out she works for you, Miranda. Uh, it becomes uh, a very small world. Yeah, very you're small not world. kidding. Uh, you know. and, and I was told that when I first got into real estate that, Watch who you screw because it's it's going to come back. If you're in it long enough, you're going to revisit the same people over and over again. You do. You do. You see the same attorneys. You see the same realtors generally. You sometimes pick up new ones. But then they're involved in your transactions over and over and over. And you do get to see the same people over and over and over again. Yeah, you see the same faces. You see them at, at functions. And even if... Uh, I don't see them at a function. I see them a lot of times tagged with other people I know at different functions. And you go, oh, my God. Um, I knew that person. There were, I was in a deal um, that was – I'm not going to say sketchy, but like the other side was pretty tough. And you know, we, we had to not battle it out, but you know, we had to stand our ground. Um, and then I did a broker's open. And the person from the bank that was hosting it with me invited all her real estate friends. And who comes in? The other agent that me and her were kind of battling it out. And thank God I left it. You know, once I got my commission check, I gave her a hug and I said, thank you very much. Thanks. You know, thank your son for buying this house. And and we moved on. We all got to remember that it's, it's, it's a profession that we deal with and that we're representing individuals. But, it, you know, we use the term battles and fighting it out. But really... We shouldn't be. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, people have their positions and people have their uh, takes on it. You know, my my statement now, a lot of times, if if we're just disagreeing and we're we're butting heads, it's hey, look, let's just agree to disagree. Yeah, and and then move on. Uh, but it is, and with social media now, you know, <laughs> you see a lot of people. <laughs> oh, definitely, and you're right. I mean, it's really not a battle. I, it, to me, it's kind of like a, a sports game. Like when you're out there, when you're in the deal, you know. You're grinding it out. Yes. You're, you're representing whoever you're representing. And then at the end, you shake hands and you say, you know. That's the key. It, it all worked out. I'm glad we got through it. And, you know, in real estate, it's you got it closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like well, once it's closed, that that's a success for everybody. Yes, that's everybody the goal. Everybody wins. Every, the goal is to get it to close. I yep. mean, that that is the end result for everybody. Your client, the other side. So that's what we try to do. And and, and you got to work in that transactional field. It's it's not litigation. It's not ad, it doesn't have it's going to be a bit of an adversarial issue, but it doesn't have to be adversarial. Yeah. Um you have to represent your clients. When I have people that do stuff, I understand another attorney on the other end and I'll I'll say to them, I understand you got to protect your client. You you're, you're going to be a little harder because you're protecting your client. You got to recognize that. And and you can't get personal about it and can't get offended by it all the time. There are times that some people cross the line and it becomes <laughs> offensive. Um but you that's a whole a different issue. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole different issue. Absolutely. And but I think that's uh you know 
when people get passionate yes. in their in their argument, yes, um, sometimes they they don't want to see anything outside of their blinders, and like you said, sometimes you got to agree to disagree. That's it. Um, I, I just had this situation with someone selling a house. Uh, she's so hard set on a number, but I have a buyer for her, and I go, but your house is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. I have a buyer willing and able right now, and she just Mike discussion over and I just kind of laugh and I go okay you know I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to you in another month you know maybe then you're going to be a little more motivated but it, like I agree to disagree and we yeah. just move forward so before we get into uh, tenant law and stuff I want to know about uh, like what what you did before you became an attorney what made you get into law and then um, I, I think you do a lot of a lot of real estate law basically yeah, I mean, right? first of all as far as the law is concerned um, I came from uh, a family where my father was a builder. Um, so he was around attorneys. He bought, he sold properties, he built homes. Um, so at a very young age, my goal was I wanted to be an attorney. Uh-huh. Um, I, I had this envision when I was younger that attorneys knew a lot of stuff. Well, <laughs> you know, they do and they don't. You know, we, we really don't know everything. Um, but that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I had always been focused on that. Unlike other you know, kids today or whatever, or even there, you go to college, you don't know what you want to do. I knew what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do. That was my goal. And that's where I was going. And that's where I headed it. Um, I went to a community college, Ocean County College, when, when I got out of high school. And I started doing that. And then I, I, I worked as probably in a couple little jobs, you know, nothing big. The biggest one I had was I worked at a carpet store. And I started there as a stock boy, you know, just picking up the carpets, bringing them out to cars, loading things up, doing that stuff. But then I progressed, and I, I got into the sales end of it. And at one point, I, I kind of slowed up on school because, you know, here you are, 20-something years old. Making and cash. And I got money coming yeah. in. And it was like, whoa, you know, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm making some good money here. Uh, so I kind of switched off and, and, and was doing it a little bit more full-time, a little school part-time. But as I got through that, you know, maybe a year or two years into the sales aspect of it where I was making that money, I said, you know, this isn't what I wanted to do. And I focused back on where I wanted to be. I wanted to go to law school. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And then and eventually went on, went to Monmouth, well, it's Monmouth College at the time, and then eventually graduated Rutgers uh, Law School. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great story. And, yeah. and, and I think for anybody going to school now, that, that is uh, – Pretty inspirational pathway that I think people should take taking the community college, working their way up. Yes, especially with so many people not knowing what they want to do, like you said. Absolutely. Why you're Why are you going to spend thirty eight thousand dollars at Monmouth University this year? It's probably to, more than maybe that. even more. <laughs> um, yeah, with room and board, you probably have forty something. So, so your parents or whoever's going to kick in forty thousand dollars when you don't even know what the f you want to do. Right. When you could just do community college kind of get your bearings right. Maybe you entertain a, a, a sales job like like you did and then see that maybe that's not where you want to go. But those experiences, I think, lead you into... Well, it was, a great, ex- it was yeah. great in that regard. It, it was great for, for me because in high school, I, I took on this, the stock job, you know, and, and I would go there and I would work and, and I kind of was doing this and that's kind of... I was getting paid. I only worked a couple of hours and it just paid a lot of my stuff. Yeah. But as I got into it, I started doing the sales, and I wanted to move up. And I said, hey, look, I can do this. And then they let me do it part-time. And they said, well, you know, he can sell stuff, so <laughs> let him do this. And then all of a sudden, I was, I was taking over people who were going out for some, on their summer vacations. So I was taking a week in this store, a week in that store, because it, cha- it was a bit of a chain. So I did more of that. And I at least got to deal with that. But I also did it at a young enough age to where I was able to say, you know what? <laughs> this isn't what I want. Yeah, I'm going to make a pivot. I, I am going to go back to what I want to do, finish up my schooling, and then go from there. Where some people, you know, it, it takes a longer period of time. They don't know what they want to do. They don't know they're going to school or, or, or they're they're going through a four years, still not knowing what they want, get out, have, you know, a bachelor's of, you know, business what? or yeah. whatever, and then are, are get stuck in a job, and then you're stuck, and you can't, yeah. you can't phase out of it. And it's very hard. And, and sometimes... You know, detour it off, or maybe start small. Go to a community college, and I, I hear that a lot of the high schools are doing that too. But, yeah. You know, that's a, it's probably a subject 
yeah. for, for a whole yeah, other thing where people absolutely. talk about, But it worked for me. Yeah. And it helped me because I came from that builder's where I was dealing with that, had the focus of where I wanted to go, went into sales, which kind of helps you with the negotiations. Absolutely. So that kind of helped me over. And then when I, I went to law school and I went from there, graduated, took a job out. I, I graduated and, and became an attorney here in New Jersey back in 1992. So I've been practicing for like 26 years. Did you uh, instantly work for yourself or did you go to work for... Oh, no, no, no. I, I worked for somebody else. Um, we were in a... I was in a boutique, I guess, law office. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were maybe four or five attorneys. Um, we handled more of the complex litigation stuff. It was more of a litigation one. I really was only doing the real estate for my father um, <laughs> at that point in time because yeah. our firm didn't do real estate. Um, it was a litigation firm. We were in construction litigation, of course, so that helped. Yeah. Uh, we did other things, but a, a big part of it was construction, and that's where I was – focused in on and I was doing some of the litigation there then eventually but that was out in South Jersey mm-hmm. um, and we were from this area yeah uh, so we wanted to move back my wife after we had our kids and we did and then I got into a firms here and that litigation kind of started pushing into the real estate and I was doing litigation and real estate but it seemed to be I was doing more real estate than anything else then eventually I wanted to learn some estate planning work and thought that would go well with the real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people coming in, they're, they're buying a house, they need a will. Um, but what I found is when I went to the next office and when I changed that, um, I was low man on the totem pole, but I had a following. And then my following started to build up. Mm-hmm. So I was getting the realtors who were I was doing more and more work for, and I was dealing with them. So my practice was building up, and I had a very good practice. And, of course, then, you know, real yeah. estate took a dive. Yeah. Um, and at that point, you know, we were, we were at a, a, an issue of w- whether I stayed there or not. Financially, could he hold on to me or not? And I left. You know, he said, hey, I can't af- afford you anymore. And essentially, you know, I had to leave um, and – I started my own. I mean, I saw the writing on the wall and I kind of said, hey, look, I called some friends and said, hey, I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need an office. I have to look for an office. I don't think I'm going to be here long. I don't know that this is going to work. We're kind of top heavy. There's too many attorneys in this office. And eventually that came to fruition. Yeah. And I went on my own. But if people ever asked me while I was working for other people, hey, why don't you go start your own? Why don't you do I was like, no, I don't want to. (laughs) I don't want the headache. I don't want the headache. I didn't want the administrative stuff. I didn't want to deal with that. I liked the idea of just working, doing my job, going home and being done, um, you know, and and working few weekends. Now I work like every day and, uh, you know, work crazy hours Um, because I may not be doing the legal end. I may be doing the administrative end. but I love it. I still yeah. love it. I mean, I still like what I do. Um, it's like another child. Yeah. 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 Well, with the, oh yeah, it's definitely another. It's child. Definitely. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, that's awesome, and it's uh, it's 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 very inspirational seeing yeah. someone go through those those steps and those trials and tribulations and the pathway. That's why I, I like asking what people did because yeah. it seeing the pathway of someone. You know where they started and how they get to where they're at. Well, and it's and it's you're right on. And 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 even sometimes I look at it and I say, when I left that firm, it was just me, and I, I had a friend who had an office space, a building, and he had downsized because he was in the real estate stuff. They were in a title business, um, so he said, "Hey, I'll rent you an office." So I was using a, a part of his staff and myself, and that was it. It was just me. I got big enough to where I then hired a secretary. I then got big enough where I hired. Two secretaries. Um, I then moved out of that space. I then, um, you had mentioned Brandy. She came on board, and she was an attorney. And so what it boiled down to is now it's myself, Brandy as an attorney, and we have uh, Mary as a paralegal. And we're, and we're doing, I think this was a wonderful year, and I think we got a niche down on how we handle it. But you look at it, and it's, it's a progression from working for other people, working by yourself, working alone by yourself, and then being able to hire people. Yeah. Um, and now when you hear things about, you know, health care and all of this, you start realizing, hey, you, you know, I'm, I'm part of this because I got a job and I'm paying for other people. And you have other people relying on you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a transition. It's a scary <laughs> one, too. I'm sure. 
And you, and you had kids at the time, so that, oh, that yeah. must have been yeah. very scary. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was um, I was married in college. Um, okay. Yeah, she, my, my wife and I had been dating through high school. Um, and uh, my last year of uh, college... I was married, married all through law school, and you know we. Got so, it. how old were your kids when you when you went from being with a firm to on your own? Um, I've been on my own since let's see, almost almost ten years. It's probably a little less, eight or nine. So my kids are twenty two and twenty five. So do the math. That's where they uh, were. Well, that was scary. You're very scary. Yeah, you know, I was putting them through private school. I had to, I had to you know, deal with that. My wife worked, and uh, but, but we did it. You did it. We did it. We you did it. And you're here to yeah. talk about. I got one. I got one more to finish college, and that's it. And then you have weddings. <laughs> then weddings. Then weddings. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing that story yeah, with no, us. It, that's awesome. So let's get into uh, the for for people looking to become a landlord. Uh, maybe there's there's a lot of people that. They, they don't want to sell their homes. They're going to become landlords. They're going to just buy a second house. Maybe there's not enough equity. I know for myself, we were underwater in my condo, so I became a landlord, not by choice. But um, I think a lot of people don't understand the legal part of being a landlord. No, no they yeah. don't. And I, I, Until I, it's too late. Yes. I became a landlord too, but I, I did it slightly different in the sense, and I was very fortunate. Number one is that every time we had a home and we sold, we never sold our home. We were able to get another home and work it from there. But I came from a family that was a builder and did landlord-tenant stuff, so I had a bit of that knowledge. Also, yeah. the legal end. There are people going in this blind. There are people who, um, like you said, they might be selling their home or can't sell their home, um, and decide, "Hey, I'm going to rent it. Hey, how hard can it be? I'm just going <laughs> to, yeah. I'm just going to put somebody in there. Everything's going to be beautiful, and I'm going to get this money, and it's going to just roll in, and I'm going to pay my mortgage off, and I don't have to worry about that." And then all of a sudden, the nightmares do begin, and and people really, really have to. If you're just getting into it, there's nothing. There's nothing bad about it in the sense but you have to be prepared for it yeah you have to know that hey what if i put in a tenant there who loses his job or her job and now can't pay the rent how am i going to pay my mortgage if they're not paying the rent and how long can it last i have to evict them well how long is it going to take me to evict them it's not a get out of my house goodbye (laughs) you know there's a process and that process can take a month and a half do you have enough money to carry you yeah. for a month and a half? Plus the two months they're behind. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah it, depending you, on how quickly you did what you yep. had to do. Yeah. You know, because th- when you get into it, some people don't always look at it as a business. And, and they develop a relationship with the tenants. And there's nothing wrong with developing a relationship with your tenants. That's good. Um, but you have to know, at what, you know, what are the warning signs? You know, oh, they're a little late. Okay, that's fine. You know, but it, it's progressively getting worse and worse and worse. Well, at some point, you got to say, hey, you know, I have people who go into these things coming out and I'm going into court for them as landlords. And it's five, six, eight thousand dollars where, you know, yeah. it's because you waited two or three months trying to help the person out. Yeah. Well, there's only so much help you can give them. At one point, you're going to have to say, hey, I have to start this earlier. If you get caught up or you can pay it, I won't throw you out. But on the same token, you want to start that earlier, mm-hmm. uh, that process. The process. Now, again, that doesn't – I have some some landlords that I represent where, you know, they deal with people and they know that there's going to be issues. And the minute that they're 10 days late, they file the lawsuit, you know. And their point is it's not personal. It's nothing. I just don't want to waste the time. Sure. And, and there's enough things where people can get help out there too. Um, so – People, tenants, obviously, ought to look for that help. And the key is, though, always communicate with the landlord, in my mind. Yeah. Um, and anybody who I've rented to, if they were going to be late, I, I, I was more appreciative if they called me and said, you know what, I'm going to be late. Uh, but he, I know I have to pay a late charge or whatever, and, you know, and I'll pay you on this day, and then did it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's fine. Um, but it depends when you're talking. This is not just something, like I said, it's, it's, it's not old time stuff where you put somebody in and I want them out and goodbye. We have anti-eviction laws, um, that prescribe what are the reasons to evict somebody. If you're in a single family home, if you're in a multifamily, then it all depends as, as the, the, um, 
the amount, the amount of, units. of homes and whether you're in them, whether you're not in them, that now, could have differences. Does that follow the owner itself or is it uh, I might own a 10 family, a 10 unit here, but then I have a four unit over there and then I have a seven unit somewhere else. Do they say, well, you own, you know, 20 something units combined so now you fall into this type of well law? no no each one each one will have their own thing there may be some laws um and i believe it is the security law that does talk about um how you deposit monies mm -hmm. if you own multiple units uh -huh. um, and i haven't looked at that in a while but for some reason in the back of my mind i'm remembering that there was something where they don't want it just in the normal, hey, go put it in a savings account, in you know, trust account in the bank. But if you have multiple ones, you're supposed to put it in, in, a, in a different account, uh -huh. um, different style account from the banking, um, more like a money market of some sort. Um, uh, not that I, I don't know if anybody really does that or not, but I haven't followed. But for some reason in the back of my mind, I kind of, I kind of remember there being something in there. Mm -hmm. But no, each each property is different. If you live in one and you've got a two-family and you live in one and all that, it's going to be treated different. The statutes are going to be different as opposed to you having a two-family and you don't live in either one of them mm -hmm. because now you're not an owner-occupied. There's a little bit more leeway. If you're living with on the property and you have a tenant, the law at least allowed there to be some thing of saying, hey, you're on the property. We're going we're to give you some leeway as opposed to you just being a businessman you're renting two units. We're going to treat you like a business, yeah. and that's how the legislator kind of the legislature kind of went out mm -hmm. and p passed some laws like that. Okay, yeah, because I know some people look at maybe possibly buying a three or four family as opposed to you know a two family. They live in one of them, and I get asked all the time. You know, does it get easier or harder um, if I'm not living there and? Uh, I was always under the assumption that if you're not living there, it's maybe a little harder to go through the eviction process than um. – I don't know that it's harder. Um, the laws are a little different if you're living there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you do have a little bit more rights if you live there in a two-family and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, and again, the, the laws break down as to how many units there are when you're living there or not. If you're not living there, you know, there's just a different – perception on, on what you have in my mind. Um, but the process itself is still the same. I mean, you still got to know what you're doing, whether you buy two family or three family or, or anything like that. Yeah. And, and so if you, if you end up having a, a tenant that's already looking kind of shady, you almost have to have that paperwork ready. Yeah, well, you do, you yeah. do. And, and people like, I, I think some people like the two family or the three family because then they'll get a mortgage. And if they put three people in and they got to say a three family, you know, one of them might be enough to pay the mortgage and they're collecting off the two or two of them might be enough and they got the one. So the idea is it's one unit, three, you know, three units in one building yeah. that may be a little bit more. Whereas if somebody is, is a problem tenant, you may be okay financially. You still got to get rid of that problem tenant, yeah. but that's a whole different issue. Definitely. Well, I, I found this, uh, this article off the internet and I thought it was actually pretty good for our conversation. It was like seven myths about housing law. Um, so I just want to go through some of these things and, and some of these things I think people do think about. Um, uh, like the, the one thing is uh, everyone thinks everything in that lease is binding. That, that lease is gospel. Is that always the case? It's a contract. It is a contract and it is binding. I mean, you have to deal with certain things. If you put something in there, that's, not permissible, well, then it's not going to be binding. But that is your contract. That is the, the agreement between the two parties. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm going to say that is what you live by, provided all of those things are permissible. You can't get a lease from California, well, that, bring it, it over to here yeah. in New Jersey, and assume that that's going to work and it's going to contain yeah. all of the laws you need. It and, doesn't. And that's kind of where I think I'm going with it because so many people just go on the internet and and they and they might even just Google uh, rental lease absolutely because they don't they don't want to buy a package that's from New Jersey or they don't want to go to an attorney and say hey could you draw me up a lease that I could use which I think is always the best thing to do I I even had an attorney draw up uh, our construction contracts like hey give me uh, something there that's solid that I could go off of I mean I know there's so many laws and statutes but um, 
So people go online, they Google rental leases, and maybe they might see a copy from California, Absolutely. and they copy-paste that, and then, boom, here you go. And it might not be permissible in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. And There's no question about it. And yeah. that's, the, I think you hit it when you said they don't want to necessarily get an attorney. I think that's the issue. I think in most instances, landlords and all that don't want to spend the money up front, get an attorney, prepare a lease, or have a lease done, get to understand some of the laws, get to understand some of the general stuff, um, and then and then proceed from there. They could go to, uh, you know, a brick-and-mortar store and go, oh, here's a lease, or here's <laughs> software, I can do this. Yeah. I can just, or go on the internet and pull it. But they don't know everything there. It's It, it may have stuff that works, may not have stuff that doesn't work. Yeah. You know? And then, well, like you said, you go into Staples right now, there's a whole stack of, Every type of contract and lease sure. on a wall, and then there's the digital copy right next to it, and um, it's easy to just grab that, and then you find out half that stuff is garbage, and you know. And you want a strong lease. You yeah. want a lease that's good. If you're a landlord, you want you want it to spell out certain things. Like for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, in New Jersey, if you're if you're trying to evict somebody for non-payment of rent, uh, one of the questions in some of the leases, if you get it from an attorney or something like that. They're going to say, you know, your rent is due on the first of every month and you get a five-day grace period. And after that, there's going to be a late charge. And that late charge is going to be considered additional rent. And the reason you want the term additional rent is because then it's considered rent. So if the, if the tenant is late half in, in, in the middle of the month and then pays you the normal rent and says, I'm not going to pay you the late fee. You can technically evict him under non-payment of rent oh. because he didn't pay that which is determined to be additional rent. Now, yeah. there's some caveats to that as to whether you're on Section 8 or special. But I'm talking about the normal people back and forth. You don't have that language in there. It's not. It doesn't say that he gets away with not paying a late fee, but you can't evict him for not paying a late fee. you got to just deal with that as the time comes. That, that's like a civil matter then. Well, yeah, it, it can be yeah. a civil matter. You can then you can then deal with it as breaching the lease. You can you might be able to evict under a breach of lease, but it's not non-payment of rent. Non-payment of rent is the easiest thing to file for yeah. someone uh, for an eviction. Yeah. Other things have notice requirements. You know, yet sometimes you have to write cease and desist letters. Um, whereas non-payment of rent, you just go file your action. Yeah. See, I mean, you learn something new. I I, I never even knew to look at that language the way that you you explained it. And I look at leases all the time, you know, because we have our New Jersey state leases. And I don't know if the language, is, is it in there that way? I don't, in, in certain, in the realtor's In the realtor ones, in the one. Realtor, in the, real, the, realtor, the realtor contracts, the, the NJAR ones, are, those are pretty good leases. Yeah. I think they are good leases. Yeah. Um, they do contain um, some good provisions in them like that. Yeah, I mean, since becoming a, a licensed agent, now that's the lease that I use. Yeah. You know, whatever their updated version is, sure. that's what I use. But I always suggest to somebody, whoever was your attorney, maybe to buy the place, become, make that your relationship. Yeah. Because if you have an issue, it's just like having a doctor, you want to be able to call and say, hey, I got the sniffles, what should I do? Hey, I have a bad tenant. You know, I want to go about it the right way. And some people use the realtors and some people, but but you have to, again, understand the realtors are not an attorney. They're just going to pull that lease off of there. They're not telling you that's the proper lease. They're not telling you it has everything in it. There are certain things you might want to change in certain leases, but it depends on your circumstance. It depends what you're doing. And that's where an attorney could come in and help you out. Absolutely. Okay. Now, um, there's, there's instances where uh, the tenant might do repairs or they might say that the landlord's responsible for certain repairs you know are is the landlord responsible for every repair in the building or i won't say every repair i mean there there's maintenance that sometimes the leases will put that you're living in there you need to maintain it you might have to remove the snow you might have to deal with all of that you might have to change the light bulbs you can't call the landlord to come change yeah. the light bulbs you're talking about a failing heat system, a failing air conditioning system, a roof issue, leak, and all that. Yeah, those are going to be more of the landlord's responsibilities. And residential, of course, landlords are responsible for more things than a tenant would be. But that goes back to a relationship of what you have with your landlord because you have to remember the more you push as a tenant to the landlord – the more your rent may go up yeah, when, sure. when the lease when the lease comes because if they're spending more money again if it's a business and they're 
profit margin is dropping because they have to keep coming out and, oh, they put in a new stove and two years into the lease, all of a sudden the stove is broken. Well, how did it break? Landlord hasn't been there. Yep. Who broke it? You know, so th those become those become issues. And, and those are certainly things that a landlord could look at later on. And if you broke it, you have to fix it. Your lease is going to say that. Um, but it depends on the repair we're really talking about. You yeah. Know? Like if, if, it, if a tenant breaks a door while slamming it, that's, it's that's, a tenant's, their, yeah. that's their issue. They break the windows, it's theirs. I mean, that, that's their responsibility should be. And maintenance is theirs. But if we're talking about, like I said, uh, infestations, mm -hmm. that might be more of the landlord than a tenant issue. Um, you have a, a, a moist crawl space and mold is starting to grow. It's certainly not a, a tenant's responsibility. It's the landlord. Yeah. Um, those things are going to be more of those bigger ticket items. I think clearly there's no question. Anything that the tenant breaks, that's the tenant's. And you, like I said, you might get into those mediocre ones of, of where it is. I, I had a scenario where um, it was a refrigerator uh, and the it seemed to be leaking on the inside. Um and, you know, the landlord goes, looks at it and says, hey, it appears that there's a clog in, in the system. Tenant's been there for 10 years or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, you we have to get it. Well, it's a $200 fix. Tenant says, landlord, you fix it. Landlord's kind of like, well, you know, you ought to do it. Um, it's $200. And, and they had somebody come out and look at it, and it was a $60 service call. So the way it ended up was... The landlord paid the bulk of the bill. Tenant paid the sixty dollars service fee, mm -hmm. and that's fine, you know. But in the end, if if he if the landlord keeps paying all these little things, your rent might go up. Yeah, and and that that's kind of another subject. I think we're segueing perfect rental increases. Hmm? Um, are there laws governing rental increases? There, well, if you're in a town that has a um, rental cap or whatever and, and right off the top of my head I'm, I'm at a loss for words <laughs> um, but it there are some towns that have um, and I can't think of I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I can't even think of the word <laughs> yeah, but it's you got a, a brain fart it is it, it, I do <laughs> and, and it's, it's basically they have rental laws about that so th there is only certain things you can do and all that but if you get beyond that I think the law is that it really can't be unconscionable. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the question of what that is, well, that may depend on the circumstances of every particular um, situation. Uh, you know, you rent some, you, you increase somebody by 10%, they may, they may be no issue with that. You increase them by 50%, well, someone might say, hey, whoa, that's just a little bit unreasonable. Sure. 5% um, increases seem to always be within the norm that I've heard, 10%, not that bad. Maybe you didn't rent, maybe you didn't raise their rent for five years and now you're doing a 20% increase. Well, that might not be unreasonable or unconscionable um, because the person was getting a lower rent uh, mm -hmm. for a long time. And maybe other things have creeped up. Obviously, taxes have increased, insurances might have increased, other things may have come up that bumped those up. But yeah, there are, there are certain towns that have it uh, rent control. That's rent, what I yeah. couldn't think of the word. I knew it would come to yeah. me. But some towns do have rent control, so it's it's obviously controlled. If it doesn't have rent control, then like I said, you're really kind of, in my mind, an unreasonable, unconscionable. And then what are the circumstances behind that? Uh, we I always joke around. You know, the person who's going to make that is the guy or woman in the black robe. Yeah. You know. So. Now, but a landlord can't uh, just shoot off the hip and say, do you know what? I didn't like this tenant. They were a pain in my ass. Uh, I spent, they just nitpicked about everything. They're at 1600. I'm going to tell them I want 2200. Try to drive them out of here. Now, if that, ten I mean, could that, that tenant now go and say, whoa. Well, what's, what's, what ultimately happens in that scenario is that, um, of course, the landlord doesn't say all that, just says, hey, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm bumping you up, bumps you up by this amount of money. Um, and whatever the number is, you know, the, the send you a new lease because um, your lease is, is coming up for renewal, sends you the new lease, sends you the new amounts of, of rent and says, hey, pay it. And the, land, and the tenant says, no, I'm not. Now, of course, the tenant, say, doesn't pay the rent or just sends in the regular rent and says, I'm not paying that increase. You're into a litigation. 
that landlord's going to file suit for non-payment of rent. If the tenant pays the rent, the case is, is done. Otherwise, you're going to go and you're going to go before a judge to find out whether that was unreasonable or unconscionable. If the judge determines it was, well, guess what? You know, landlord, you lose. <laughs> um, and tenant, you win. On the other hand, guess what? Tenant, you lose because the judge says, hey, under all of these circumstances, this was an okay increase. Not getting into the issue of, I don't like you, I don't do that. Yeah, I mean, That's not going to be the issue. Um, but if, if it's determined that the rent increase was sufficient, well, tenant, you lose. you got to pay the rent. Otherwise, you are out. Yeah. But so I, it, it, it just depends on what you want to do. And that's what I tell people, you know, where do you want to be and what do you want to do as far as litigation? You know, I do more, I represent more landlords uh, because in most instances, tenants, if they can't pay the rent, you know, they can't pay the attorney. Um, so you, you wind up renting, uh, representing more landlords. Mm-hmm. Um, I have represented tenants, and some of them are in those unconscionable issues. Or you, you know that the landlord's being vindictive or trying to be, and, and that's, it, it seems that way. And, you, and there's laws against that. Sure. You've you got to deal with those. Now, um, when you sell an investment property, uh, I, I, don't, I think a lot of people don't understand, uh, I guess, how the leases transfer with the sale, but the tenant typically goes with the sale of the property. You look at the lease. So if you have a one-year lease, you're six months into the lease and you're selling the property, the tenant's coming with the property, the lease is coming with the property. Um, that's why people who are investors, um, they want to see the leases up front. They want to see what, what they're getting. You know, how long is a lease? Do I have five-year leases and, and there's minimal increases? Do I have just one-year leases and, and I can I can do my increases or whatever? But the the tenant is going with that, especially if it's if it's you know that that commercial aspect of it, um, because it's a business mm-hmm. and you got a lease and that goes back to that first question you asked me: yeah. Is that con? That's your contract. That's your agreement with the landlord. So landlord, hey, you're going to sell it? Boom. And unless there's a provision in there that says, if I'm selling it, I can get rid of you, then no, you're, that lease is going to carry on. And that's the one the new person takes subject to that lease. Mm-hmm. And that could both, I guess, negatively or positively affect the sale of that place. Yeah. Because if you have crap tenants, that might bring down the value of your, yeah. of your sale. A- so absolutely. If you, have, if, you, if you have a bad lease, if you, again, you might have a long-term lease with somebody and they're paying very little on yeah. that. And, and it doesn't make sense for the investor who's coming in buying it. And again, it depends who's buying it. Yeah. The, the, the initial person who's never, who's never had a rental before <laughs> buys one because it's rented and I want to deal with that. Well, they may not be as um, savvy or they may not be up on what they're really looking for. Hey, look, I got a lease. Oh, they got a lease? They got a lease. That's great. I got, I got someone okay, for three more I got years. somebody in there for, for whatever. Yeah. And, and they have to look at those things. But there's, and that's my point. There's a lot to look at. Yeah. There's a lot to see and, and think about when you're doing it. It's not always just a wake up one day and say, I want to be a landlord. <laughs> Absolutely. I, there, there's so many parts to that, that, uh, that machine, that so many moving parts. I think, you know, some people, they, I, I even hear, uh, I, I hear people talk like, you know, that's my house still, I could do whatever I want. And, and they don't understand that once you give possession over to somebody else, it's no longer, that's their home. Um, it's, it, it's, your, about, it's your property, it's their your, home. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Their home, they're living in there. They are entitled to quiet enjoyment. You can't keep coming there, knocking on the door, everything. But again, What's in your lease? Do you have a right to inspect the property? Is there provisions in there that give you the right to come in and inspect the property on reasonable notice? And and a lot of leases have that. Sometimes you get a generic one. It might not have that yeah. one. It might not have that type of provision. You might want to add stuff like that. It might just have a, a very generic one about um, inspecting if there's problems. But maybe you want to do a quarterly inspection, maybe whatever. Um, but, it, it, but is there a, a such thing as excessive of course. You know, I'm, I'm sure that there's yeah. probably tenants that have dealt with landlords that, that this person's coming over every two weeks, yeah. walking well, around. It becomes un, it becomes unreasonable. And I think I think in any 
profession, anything we deal with, any anything you look at, there's good and there's bad. There are good landlords. There are bad landlords. There are good tenants. There are bad tenants. Um, it happens. I mean, I'm in landlord-tenant. I see, um, in some instances, good tenants. I see some bad tenants. Sure. Um, you know, and I see some good landlords and I see some problem landlords. And I'm like, wow, I mean, you know, here's somebody who's just bullying somebody, a, a tenant, because they don't understand the law, and that that becomes part of the problem. Is people don't understand the law. Do you know that there's another part of the law, uh, or, or or the the rental uh, agreement that I hear sometimes people do different things, and that's with the security deposit. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, that's always a fun one. Yeah. Uh, now, I heard someone just tell me recently that they take a five hundred dollar non refundable deposit, and when you leave, they don't charge you for any damages. I don't know how, exactly how they word it. I've never heard of anything like that. I don't even know how it would be worded because it's really not a security deposit. Right. But, I mean, that, the question is, what is it? Yeah. What it, is it? Uh, I mean, uh, because there, there are certain things. There is. We have laws on security deposit for, for residential. You can only take a month and a half. Um, so depending on what else they're calling it and, and what else they're doing, I mean, that could have a benefit, might not, um, you know. But it depends on how they're they're wording it or what they're calling it because it sounds it doesn't sound like it's a security deposit at all. Yeah, um, it, it just, it's like a non one time non refundable. They they must call it like a maintenance fee or something. Yeah. Um, and and again, it depends. Is it on? Is it in? A, is it? I mean, that's a questionable one. Yeah, uh, you know, and I'd I've have, never heard of it until yeah. recently, and I, I said I don't know if that if that's legal or not. Yeah. But I, I'd I'd really like to see that and see the language. I mean, what I usually hear is. Um, you're going to rent from me. I'm going to take a month and a half uh, security. Um, oh, you have a pet and you want a pet and I'll let you have a pet. I'm going to take a pet security yeah. in addition to the one and a half. Can't do it. People do it, but you can't. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it, it yeah. uh, listed many, many times. Yeah. And it's because people aren't aware of the laws and sometimes realtors aren't aware of the law yeah. and, and turn around and say, oh, we'll just take a, a pet security. And the problem is I, there, there is a case – out there in New Jersey where it does say that, um, no, you get one and a half. Uh, we don't care what else you want to call it. You're only entitled to one and a half. That's it. You know? and, and a landlord might be better off saying, okay, I'm going to let you have an animal, but I'm going to charge you $10 more. A month. Yeah. A, a month. I'm going to charge you $20 more a month um, and then just collect it that way. Forget about the, 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 the security deposit because in the end, they'll, they'll get the security deposit back if they didn't damage anything and all of that, you know, depending on if the house is the way it's supposed to be left when they leave. But, you know, I tell landlords, if you're going to let a, an animal or anything like that, maybe you're going to charge a little bit more in your rent than that. To That's, make up for it, yeah. Yeah, and like I said, an, an extra $5, $10, you know, you're going to get $120 at the end of the year, you know, $240. You know, I understand dogs can and cats can scratch up the floors, whatever, you know, walls. Now, what can a landlord use that security deposit for after someone leaves? So, so now the person leaves, they have that security deposit. They could only hold on to that deposit so long after that yes. person leaves. There is a, there's, a, there's a statute with regards to that, and, and you generally have to send out within 30 days of the person uh, vacating at the end of the lease, um, an itemization, and then generally returning their um, portion of the security. So if you go in, if they didn't owe you any other rent, and now you do your walkthrough after they've gone out, you have to do it within 30 days. If there's nothing wrong with the home, then you you, you return that to them. Um, if there's something wrong, uh, there's a hole in the wall, there's there's broken windows, you can put in the reasonable amount and say, I'm deduct, you know, here's your amount of your security, here's the interest that accrued on your security, and now I'm deducting X dollars for broken window, broken tile, whatever the case may be, and then you go from there. And then, and that's, that's what you do. Yeah. Um, and then there's some arguments over that. I was going to say that, I guarantee that could lead to litigation. Absolutely, or, absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, again, some... Landlords will try and charge. Oh, you know, you left the tub dirty. I had to, I had to clean it. I brought in a professional cleaner. Um, I, I had to steam clean the rugs or something like. That. I had to repaint. I don't know what does your lease say, because I, I have seen some judges turn around and say, you know, 
you had him in there for two years, cleaning the rugs normal, is a normal landlord thing to put in a new person. You should have done that anyway. You should paint it anyway. You know, some of the CEOs now, when you go for different towns, require you to paint it. Mm-hmm. Whose responsibility is that? Is that more of a landlord maintenance type problem every time you have to rent it and you can't pass that along? Again, these are when I'm dealing with people, this is a case that, you know, Sometimes you go to court, it's going to be the judge going to make a decision. If you can't settle it, it's the judge is going to make a decision. But if it's reasonable, I, 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 I tell landlords, you know, look at it, and my clients, look at it and see what it is. You always have to remember that if you withhold money, the tenant, when they file that suit, or if you don't give them the itemization and you withhold the money, they are entitled to double the amount of money wrongfully withheld plus reasonable attorney fees. So, keep that in the back of your mind when you're you're trying to charge them four hundred dollars to clean the tub. You do, you do, because you know you you may find yourself fighting that issue. You may think you're right, and maybe you will be for whatever reason you put it up. Um, But somebody's going to make that call, you know. And if it's if it's on that, I'm more conservative. Somebody might not be. Uh, You know, I'm more conservative, saying "Eh, if it's on that line. You know what? What's the big deal? You're going to eat a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. Better than having to pay six hundred bucks or eight hundred dollars for a two hundred dollar deal. Yeah. Um, So Uh, you you do have to think about that, and you do have to get the letter out. You can't just sit back and wait and decide you're going to do it whenever you want. You know, because sometimes landlords get, you know, a little. Hey, I'm going to teach you. I'm not going to give it to you right away. Again, if the relationship is bad, if the yeah. relationship is good, it's over. On the same token, tenants can't use it as the last month's security, but they try to. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, I mean, their last yeah, month's rent. Yeah. They try to. You know, figure, hey, I'm going to get out. He's only going to have a half a month of mine because I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to get out and not pay him the last month's rent. So, and, and even if they did that, then the, the landlord has to still itemize that th- that money was used towards yeah. the rent. Uh, yeah. Late fee because they, yeah. they didn't pay on time, yeah. and so forth and so on. If, so, it, if they if they filed an eviction, yeah. then eviction fee. If they have an attorney, it, the legal fee. So I mean, as a tenant, you could find yourself in in a problem, and that's that's where you look at your leases and what does it say? Because you might try to do that, only to find out that all of a sudden you get an eviction action and a civil lawsuit for the monetary amount. Because eviction actions are only for possession, not for money. Mm -hmm. Um, But the landlord can file two actions against you. One is to evict you, but knowing you're gonna leave, and two, for the monetary amount, to try and get back that which you did, and if it's a breach under the lease, he may also get legal fees. (laughs) Jeez, it keeps you in business. It does, it does. Now, um, I'm sure that there's, like you said, failure to pay is one of the the, the easiest ways to evict somebody. Um, are there other? How about if someone's treating your prop? They're paying you, but they're 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 yeah, destruction you. destruction of property is one of the issues under there. Uh, there could be, but again, each one has their own mechanism. If it's destruction of property, it might be you have to send out a cease and desist letter. You might have to give them certain notices and then file it after that. You can file if somebody doesn't want to sign a new lease, but it has to have reasonable changes to it. But if you just give them a normal lease and say, I want you to sign it, and all I did was increase your rent by you know a nominal amount, and that person's not signing the lease, there could be reasons to evict them for that. But again, you got to follow all of the procedures mm-hmm. and the notice requirements. Whereas, like I said, non-payment of rent, Easiest thing to, to evict uh, for somebody. Now, after someone leaves or they're evicted, sometimes people leave some items in the place. Um, now, I, reading through this, they were saying that, you know, for a period of time, you have to explain to them, hey, I, I have some of your belongings. You have X amount of time to pick them up. So as a landlord, I can't just can it. I actually, do I have to let the tenant know, hey, you left the couch here. Well, I'm going to hold it for 72 hours? Again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on the circumstances we're first talking about. And everything always depends on the circumstances that you have. If the tenant leaves, says, here's my keys, whatever's in there you can throw away. You can throw away. You don't have to do it. What, what's more or could, could happen is tenant doesn't pay you the rent. Um, you file an eviction action. Tenant thinks they're going to stay or, or they just don't want to move or they don't have the money to move. All of a sudden you win the eviction action. Now you, you go through the whole process. You've gone to court. 
you've gotten the eviction, you've gotten your warrant of removal, the constable goes out there and literally takes them out, locks the doors, you, you change the locks at that point. You have done everything the right way. But the tenant, when they were evicted, still has furniture in there. Well, there are certain statutes where you as the landlord do have to give certain notices, certain requirements, and, and protect that stuff. Either put it in a uh, storage facility or work it out, but you have to give them notice. And it, should, it could be like a 30-day time period where they can come back and take it out. And you can't hold the furniture in that hostage, meaning they didn't pay you two months' worth of rent. They come back, and they you, you, you've done through the whole process. They were locked out of their home, but they left their furniture in there. Now they call you up and say, fine, hey, you know what? We're going to come back on you know, Friday, and we want to pick up our stuff. And you say, well, you know, you still owe me. Well, my rent, I'm not going to let you in. until You can't do that. Yeah. You have to let them get their stuff out. There, there are some, I think, reasonable costs for the storage if you put it in storage. Sometimes it's usually left in the house for, for a period of time, um, and then it gets, you know, it, then as long as you follow the procedures, then eventually you can get rid of it. Yeah, so if you're a new landlord and someone, you just evicted somebody, don't just go bring no. a dumpster t the next day and think you're cleaning shop and getting somebody in there in a week. And, and usually the issue is, is it's that you, you, you're evicting and then they disappear, but they leave stuff there. Um, and the question is, did they really leave or didn't they leave? Mm -hmm. you know, and, and did you go through the whole procedure? You know, Sometimes you file the eviction action and it generally takes about 30 days before you're going to get a court hearing. Um, maybe before that, they have left, but there's still stuff there. there. There might be a bed there. There might be some furniture, other furniture there. There might be some clothes there. The question is, did they leave or didn't they leave? You know, and some landlords right, right away might say, oh, they left. I'm going in there. Oh, there's just junk. I'm throwing it away. You could get, you can get hit up yeah. for that um, because in New Jersey, you can't, there's no self-help. You have to follow through with everything. And I'll even say to some landlords, you know, Oh, they moved out, but there's a couple of things left in there. Well, you know what you might want to do is you might want to go through the whole process. You might not want to go there and just change the locks. You might want to file, pay the extra dollars for the warrant of removal, have the warrant of removal issued, have the sheriff, go, the constable go out there, lock the door. You know, you lock the doors at that point because you're permitted to do that. Um, and then mail a letter back to the house because that's the last known address you know of them. Uh, of where the tenant was, and, and giving them certain notices. Maybe you're going to move stuff to the side, and you you might still be able to go in there and pay. But you got to be. But you've done most of the stuff the right way. Yeah. Um, which you'll be a little bit more protected as opposed to people just saying, "I'm just going to go in there and lock the doors." You know, I think they left. I'm going to go lock the door, and yeah. change the locks. Well, you might not be able to do that. You got to be careful. It's yeah. not just that. You know, not the wild, wild west. <laughs> no, you, you have to disconnect yourself from being, hey, this is my house. It's my property to I'm running a business. Let me do it the proper way because it's going to come yeah. back at you at the it, end. It, it's a risk analysis. And yeah. I have some landlords that, that you know, they'll, they'll make that risk analysis. Okay, I really think they left. I really do think this is just garbage that's in here. Um, you know, they, they, the, the utilities have been off. Uh, they, they, they shut everything else off. They took all of the, their clothes and all that. But these little things are left here. And I just, I just think that, well, you do the risk analysis and that's up to you. Um, and you take your chances. Yeah, but the law says what the law says. The law, right. The law says what the law says. But people do risk analysis and they do that. And I always tell people then you better take a lot of pictures, a lot of showing what it is. And, <laughs> you know, you go from there. Yeah. Now, how about Section 8? Are there a whole different ball of rules with Section 8? Yeah, oh, there are, there are totally different rules with, yeah. with Section 8 individuals. That's state-run, you know. Uh, they're they're going to look at certain things. The state comes in and inspects the property. You can't get always late charges, legal fees added as additional rent. You have to go after them for the difference in that. Um, but, yeah, that's a whole different. How about as far as uh, evictions? Because sometimes people get approved for X amount of dollars and then they have to pay the landlord yes. $200 a month. Yes. Now, same, same, same thing. Same thing. So, so Non-payment of rent, non-payment of rent. It, it, more than likely the state's paying you if that person, like you just said, yeah. the state was paying X dollars and they had to pay – X dollars towards the rent. If they don't pay you, you have the right to evict them. The same for non-payment rent. Yeah. Yep. Now, do they get any more leeway because they're a part of Section Eight, or um, 
they, they don't get any leeway other than where you may not be able to charge them late fees. You may not be able oh, to okay. charge them um, legal fees or certain things. You may not be able to charge them on the eviction for non-payment of rent. It doesn't mean you can't go after them for it, but you may not be able to use that during the eviction process. So they, they could have a little bit of a benefit there. How about people with kids? That, that's, that's a myth that goes it's around a, a lot. That it's a myth. I don't know if I want to rent with anybody with kids. They're a nightmare to get out. Yeah, well, yeah. that you might be probably in the law right off the bat saying I'm not renting to people with kids. That's a whole different well, issue. Th- yeah, that's, a, it, that's an issue within itself. But, but people will – I will hear that. I will hear people say, oh, yeah, I want to evict them, but they have kids. The judge is never going to kick them out of the house. It's not true. It's yeah. not true. You know, they, they have to follow the law too. If somebody's not paying your rent, they're not paying your rent. Yeah. If you're a victim, if they have kids – they have to find some place to live then after that. And, and it's, it's just the fact that they have them, you know, where it comes down to is, oh, you're, you're, you're a cruel landlord. You're cold. Putting these kids out on, on the street or whatever. It wasn't the landlord that did it. Yeah. It's, it's, you have to pay your bills. You got to pay you know? your bills. I have to pay the mortgage that yeah. my rent covers. If I'm not paying the mortgage, then I have to take my money from my That's own right. kids. That's right. And so it's, it is what it is, you know. Yeah. I mean, so so I, I, I don't see – that is much of of. I think that's more of a myth to say. Oh, he's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he certainly can have some more sympathy in that situation. And if it's a close call on whatever it is, he may sway towards a tenant. Um, but if it's an outright, you haven't paid two months worth of your rent. What's he going to do? Yeah. You know, if there's an argument as to whether you withheld some of the rent because of some issue. That may be that might slide differently. Yeah, wow. I think I think we could go on and on. Like oh, th- this is this is a, a subject that I'm sure if anybody got in becomes a landlord, uh, they would. It is so beneficial to sit down with someone like yourself and just shoot shoot the stuff for for a little bit. Get a consultation. Have you draw up a lease for them? Let let them you know. Do your homework before you become involved in a business. And that's Absolutely. what being a landlord is. You're, you're starting another business. Absolutely. So learn the business. And the law is the biggest headache of it all. I mean, once you get somebody in there, that's the easy part. You know, you do your maintenance and everything that's agreed to. I think that's the easy part. It's always having in the back of your head, this person doesn't pay. Well, How am I going to cover these fees? Well, that, what what can I do? It's a thought there. And, and, and we've only, I mean, I, I can tell you, we've only just scratched some of the stuff. Sure. There's a lot more in it to know. But it, it's, I, I will I will only say one thing different. It's, it's not so easy to get somebody in there because you need to do your homework on who you're putting in there. Yes, yes. Because absolutely. some people will just put anybody in there. And a desperate landlord is prime target for somebody who knows that's a tenant that knows the system and 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 can get in there i have had scenarios i've had a rental of my own where somebody came to me and said hey look i'll pay you the whole year up front very lucrative sounds great yeah but when i did the investigation and looked into it the question was what was going to happen when the year was up where was this money coming from yeah if you don't have a job or you can't, how are you getting this money and, and where's it going? Um, and, and those might be the issues where it's tempting to put that person in right away where it's easy. It might be the more of saying, you know what, I don't want to put that person in because there might be a headache down the line. So now I got to hold out, which means I got another month to deal with another, you know, how long before I find the right person? And that's like what you said too. And I said in the beginning, how long can you hold it? Yeah. And then the more you get desperate as a landlord, you may be willing to take on something, risk analysis. You may be able <laughs> to take that and just hope it all works out. And sometimes it will and sometimes it won't. <laughs> and sometimes it may cost you that year later down the road. Maybe it got you over your hump right then and there. But in the end, maybe it didn't help yeah. you out in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, I thank you for you know giving us all this information. I think uh, there's a lot there to absorb and to try to – at least get started. So anybody looking to become a landlord, I think this is a good starting point. At least there's some stuff here that they could go back and, and listen and think about. Absolutely. Um, and maybe uh, they see that they weren't doing things right or maybe for people that are a little on the cheaper side, they're realizing, hey, 
get an attorney, speak with them, sit down, learn some of what you need to learn, and and at least have a good foundation in be, being a landlord. Absolutely, and and there there's a handbook that the, every landlord's supposed to give the tenant, and it's it's uh, the guide to the landlord tenants or, or you know tenants handbook or whatever, and and it's it's usually online at the Department of Community Affairs. I think yeah. they have it right online. You know what? If you're gonna if you're thinking of doing this, go get that book. Start reading it and seeing what some of the things. It's just going to reference laws and things of what you can do and what you can't do. It's going to be helpful. Um, that's that's very important. Definitely. And I'm going to put a link to that in in the the podcast show notes. So, Peter, thank you so much for that thank information. For I'm gonna me. I have a couple questions for you. Little quattro fire. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get to learn a little bit more about you, and uh, and then I. I get to learn a little bit more about maybe stuff I would like to learn more about. So what is your favorite book? I really don't have a favorite <laughs> book. Sorry about that. Um, I, I'm not much of a reader outside of the, the books that I have to read for, for, for cases and things of that nature. Yeah, I, I, will, I will say that um, the, the, the Hunger Games was somebody gave me that. Um, and I read that, and that kept my attention, and I, th- I thought that was an excellent book. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of any other books that I really read that, that jumped at me. Um, Left Behind was a series that I read as well. Mm-hmm. Those were at least two books that I – or series of books <laughs> that I read that, that really kept my attention. That kept you um, going. That, that I went through them. Um, but I really – I'm a very boring person. I don't have a lot of favorite things. I'm kind of one that likes a lot of different things. Yeah. So. Well, what about a go-to television show or movie? I am definitely geared towards sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, that, that is where I'm at. Um, so sci-fi is my big thing. I do like the action movies as well. Um, but most of, it, most of it, you know, my wife always tells me, oh, yeah, you just watch that sci-fi stuff. And I, I don't like that stuff. <laughs> Go in the other room. Go in the other room. Exactly. <laughs> How about, do you have a favorite quote? Uh, not that I can think of again. No. Not, not that I can think of as a favorite quote. No. How about um, were you ever given a a piece of advice that stuck with you through life that um, maybe you now give to your kids, or or is there any any advice that you give to your kids that you, you think is? Well, I, I mean, advice that I gave to my kids, and I, I don't know if it came from wherever I was or, or what is. I, I always dealt with them on um, wants and needs, you know. You may want something, but do you need something? Um, and, and that – I recently went to a seminar for first-time homebuyers. And one of the things they started talking about were the wants and the needs. You know, you may want something, but do you need it? And it was always funny when, when my kids were, were at a point where we were teaching them um, lessons of money. And, and what it was. We would go into a store and they'd be like, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that. I, and, I, and my point was, well, do you want it or do you need it? Because if you want it, you have your money, go buy it. If you need it, I'll buy it for you. Mm-hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden, yeah, no, I don't want that anymore. <laughs> you know? um, and, and, and I guess for, for that is, is where I took it. And, and when you get into the, um, the real estate debacle, that happened in in in, in two thousand, you know, uh, you know, at two thousand three, four, five, and six. When part of that was a wants and need, people were given free money, and therefore they got what they wanted, not what they needed, yeah. and they looked for bigger things as opposed to what they really could afford. Um, and I saw a lot of that. So I guess that would be the imparting wisdom that I probably got from my parents and passed it along to my kids. And I do see it in the world today. Well, I'll tell you, I, I like that. And I think I'll, I'll probably use that with my own kid. You know, if that's something you want, then there's your money and you go buy it yourself. If it's something you need, then I'll take care of it. Yeah. I'll tell you, that's excellent. Well, I appreciate all that information. And I would like to give the audience a chance to uh, – for for you to give some information where they can find you, I guess the number to your office, and uh, let yeah. them know where they can. Right now we're located in Tom's River. We're at 325 West Water Street uh, in Tom's River, New Jersey. Uh, phone number to the office, 732-341-4141. A very easy number. Um, so all you got to know is 41, and that's it. <laughs> that's it. It's 341-4141. Awesome. Well, Peter, thank you so much for being on the show. I so appreciate it. And I appreciate 
all of you for listening to the show. My name is Mikey T. Michael Anthony Timpani, as my mama named me. You can follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at First Timers Podcast Show. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Mikey T. Sells NJ Homes and at THS Home Advisors. A link to all the websites can be found right on the social sites. Please leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Share, subscribe to our weekly podcast. Message us with any questions and topics you would like to hear. And if you're a professional that could bring some value to our audience, please contact me. Together we can learn and grow. I'd like to end with a quote. This one's from Maya Angelou. Success is liking yourself, liking what you do, and liking how you do it. God bless everybody and have an amazing week.